You can't handle the truth. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. So what do you think we're going to be talking about today? Remember that old movie, A Few Good Men? You know, Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson, Demi Moore, and that famous line in there, you can't handle the truth. Well, we're going to talk about something today that a lot of people don't want to face up to. It's called the Upper Limit Challenge. I alluded to it last week. Last week, we talked about what people are struggling with. We had hundreds and hundreds of responses to that. We'll probably get back to that. It's good father, father for another time, but I promised and people have been chattering about the fact we're going to talk about the upper limit challenge this week. So we're going to dive in. What is the upper limit challenge? How do I overcome it when I recognize it? Now, our quotation for today comes from Henry Ford. This is one I'm probably referenced a hundred times, but it fits so well today. Whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. That's it. Now, we watched Joanna. I watched another movie this week. I really don't even remember what the name of it was. Something about Good Morning. It was a no-name movie. We just flipped it on and watched it. But it was interesting because there was a little girl who was dreaming about being a news anchor. That's what she wanted to do from the time she was a little girl. Well, she had some bumps in the road in terms of getting there. Got fired a couple times. Her mom sat her down and said, look, now get this sequence and then start to think about dreams that you've had. What have you done with them? Her mom said, when you were eight years old, that dream was adorable. When you were 18, it was inspiring. At 28, it was embarrassing. Don't wait till it becomes heartbreaking. I thought, oh my goodness. I, geez, I grabbed my notepad, wrote that down. Is that the stages that a dream goes through where we are, we have big dreams when we're little boys and girls, and then we're hit with reality. We bury those dreams. We don't believe it's possible. Well, that's a great fit for what we're going to be talking about today, the upper limit challenge. And again, that sequence was eight years old, your dream was adorable. 18, it was inspiring. 28, it was embarrassing. Don't wait till it becomes heartbreaking. Now, Kenny Dobrak in the 48 Days Eagles community said, he said, I just finished reading The Big Leap. And the whole idea of the upper limit problem is life-changing. I've caught myself doing it a couple of times. While the description of the upper limit problem is crystal clear, he says, I've read the audiobook once and the paper book once, and I'm still not totally 100 sure what he's recommending to do if you catch yourself in an upper limit challenge. So it, I promised that I would talk about it. Now, let me unpack this for those of you that may not be familiar with it. In the book, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, he talks about the upper limit challenge. Now, it's referenced in a lot of places. You can search it and find a lot of things, but he's the one that really gave it a terminology. And he says this, and I quote, each of us has an inner thermostat setting that determines how much love, 
success, and creativity we allow ourselves to enjoy. When we exceed our inner thermostat setting, we will often do something to sabotage ourselves, causing us to drop back into the old familiar zone where we feel secure, end quote. Let me give you a couple examples of this. Let's say that we find somebody down living in a ghetto in Mississippi, living in abject poverty. Families never had anything, but oh my gosh, we discover this kid has a throwing arm like we've never seen. We bring him to Nashville, Tennessee, give him a $10 million signing bonus with the Tennessee Titans. And you know what often happens? Six months later, they've sabotaged their career beyond repair, spent the money and more, and are back where they came from. What happened? That's an example of the upper limit challenge. The reality of what they were given didn't match their sense of deserving. It's like, wow, who am I to drive a Lamborghini? Who am I to have a nice house? And they sabotage it. Now, we've seen that play out time and time again. Years ago, the church that we were going to, uh, we went together and gave a car to a single mom and her son. Now, she was struggling, you know, living in a little rental house. You know, the grass was never mowed, windows were broken, and we felt sorry for her. We bought our brand new car. It was a Chevy Cavalier station wagon, blue. I can still visualize it perfectly. Four months later, it was dented. Broken glass, wheel covers missing. Guess what? It looked just like the house they were living in. Beat up, broken. They brought it down to a level that matched their sense of deserving. Now, Joanna and I are pretty, we're pros at this. (laughs) I mean, at, at having people play this out. We've seen it time and time again. So let's say, and this is not a hypothetical example. This is a real example that's been repeated, unfortunately. Joanne has worked with these young ladies coming out of the Tennessee prison for women. Now, a lot of them are there, just tough circumstances, really shouldn't have been there. They couldn't afford good attorneys. They end up there, but most of them had pretty rough lives prior to that. So let's say that a young lady gets out of prison. We help her get a nice house, give her a nice car, take her to an interview. She gets a nice job. I mean, that has been exactly what's happened more than once. It's too much all at once. They self-sabotage until their reality matches their sense of deserving. And I can give you, I can take you and introduce you to a young lady where we did exactly that. Matter of fact, I gave her four cars over the course of a couple years because obviously if I was the provider, when something happened, she'd just come back to me. But we helped her move into a really nice house. And I took her to the first job interview she ever went to. And she got the job. She could afford everything. It wasn't a matter of financially not making the numbers work. But it didn't match her sense of deserving. Today, she lives in government housing. She has a good job. She's a very responsible gal. But she lives in government housing. She gets food stamps. You know, and she's really happy with her life. Well, that's in essence what the upper limit challenge is. Now I'm going to give you some other examples of that. And then I'm also going to walk you through some of the comments that were left 
in the Eagles community about people struggling with their own upbringing challenge. And then I'm going to take you right into what are six things you can do to overcome it. Because we all deal with this. Here, here's some other examples. Let's say somebody compliments you on your dress. Wow, that's a really nice dress. And you say, oh my gosh, you know, I found this thing at Goodwill for two bucks. That's an upper limit challenge. What does somebody with a healthy self-confidence do when they are given a compliment like that? They say, thank you. They don't deflect the compliment. If you find yourself deflecting compliments, it's a sign of an upper limit problem. Worry, blame, criticism, not keeping promises. Those are all other indicators of that. You know, how, how about this? Just got your biggest speaking engagement. Golly, you've been working on this. You went through Kent Julian's Speak It Forward program. You're all ready to go. You got your first speaking gig. It's 2,500 bucks. You go to the town, stay in a hotel. You get up the next morning and you have laryngitis. Just all of a sudden you come down with a cold, sinus infection, lose your voice. You know what that is? I mean, that's an indication of an upper limit problem. Your brain is telling you, you don't really deserve this. You shouldn't get paid that kind of money for 45 minutes of speaking. What do you, who do you think you are? Upper limit challenge. I mean, this is a powerful concept, but if we can identify it, we can start to raise that upper limit. Now I've been working on mine all my life. My goodness. I mean, the way I, the way I grew up, we were trained to not expect to have a whole lot, be a whole lot, go a whole lot, all of those things. I've had to work. When I was a junior in high school, I took $250 out of my savings account. I didn't have much more than that. Took $250 out and flew with a friend of mine to Puerto Rico just to enjoy the experience. Golly, we... You know, saw art museums, went to concerts, had a great time, you know, on the beach, ate great food. My dad thought that was the biggest waste of money. He could not fathom that I had blown $250 for that. It's not practical. It's not necessary. It's nothing but just entertainment. We don't enjoy those kind of things in our family. We don't do that. That's irresponsible. What, what about if you got a car? That's still running pretty well. There's really no rational reason to replace it, but you really want to. Or here, here's an example. A couple of years ago, Joanne, I mean, one of the reasons we love our house is because of the kitchen. When you walk in, it's a big cathedral ceiling, you know, and it was a really cool layout in the kitchen, big center counter that comes out, a lot of room for people, our big table and all that. But Joanne thought the tile on the counter was dated. Now, it was ceramic tile, but it had design in it, kind of like fruits and flowers and all that. Well, she said it's really dated. I said, well, geez, you know, I hate to tear up a perfectly good counter, but if you think so, you know, that's okay. We'll do that. So we started talking to people about the kind of counter that we wanted. Well, when we decided the kind of counter we wanted, we realized the floor was going to be kind of an awkward match. We thought, whoa, we really need to replace the floor. 
if we're going to do the counter. So there's some kind of consistency in the color scheme. Well, guess what else happens? Gee, now the walls don't really match. The cupboards need to be redone. We went from a very simple process, I thought, of replacing the counter and the backsplash with some very elaborate tile, very elaborate tile on the floor, new cupboards, paint, new freshly painted walls. It became a very big project. And I'm thinking, whoa, there was nothing wrong. And we're just going to come in with jackhammers and tear this out. Why would I do that? Well, I worked my way through it, but it was, I realized I was bumping up against my upper limit challenge because I was thinking, why do I deserve this? Why do we need to do this? This is really just being kind of selfish. We need to get along with what we've got because it's very practical and utilitarian. Let me give you a couple other examples. You know, then I'm going to give you some comments that people have made. I've been working with people for 30 years who want better jobs or opportunities. If someone's working a job, they can expect a three to 4% increase. So if you're making $60,000 now, next year with a 4% increase, you'd be making $62,400. I mean, people can handle that. And when people look for a new job, I find that they give themselves about a $10,000 window. So somebody with a $60,000 job will look for new jobs in the fifty dollars to $70,000 range. If there's a position open, that fits them perfectly, but it pays $125,000, they won't even bother applying. They just, they think there's something wrong. Surely I can't be a candidate for that because I've never had a job that paid that much. Upper limit challenge. So what happens if a person is making $60,000 and they start a little side business online? Let's say that uh, they create a course on how to have a perfect yard. I mean, they sell it for $17 dollars and something gets picked up by USA Today, 10,000 people flock to buy the course. That's $170,000. Can you handle that? It may be easy to think, well, well, sure I can bring it on, but we have so many examples. Look what happens to lottery winners. We're told that lottery winners, about seven years after they win, are right back exactly where they were or worse off. They did nothing to get the money other than a stroke of luck. That's one of the, one of the keys right there. If you, if you get an inheritance from rich uncle who died, you may be in trouble. If you win the lottery, you're probably really in trouble. But if you work your way up, you can change your family tree dramatically. You can work your way up and enjoy things that nobody in your family ever has. But there's a lot of lottery winners. I mean, there was a guy who won $16.2 million and he said that he was happier when he was broke. There's a guy who won $315 million who says, he said later he wished he had torn his ticket up and thrown it away. Well, a lot of things factor in that. But here's what we've got. The combination of upper limit challenge Combine that with, is it just good stewardship to take care of your old car, your own lawnmower, your old house or whatever, and just stay there? Is is it really just good stewardship or are you bumping up against the idea that you really don't deserve anything better? Now, we aren't going to, we aren't going to resolve this totally, but I want to get your thinking 
going on this because we hear at 48 days, we hear from so many people who are struggling with this very thing. The opportunity is there. Their talent is there. Their passion is there. And they sabotage their success just at the moment they're ready to walk into it. Now, here's another aspect of this. Wow, maybe I broke my family rules to get here. I mean, frankly, when, when I'm with family, we don't. We have a Miller reunion like we did last July in Harrisonburg, Virginia. I don't talk about what I do. We talk about the old days and farming jokes and things we would, but they would have no way to understand what I do today, especially when it comes to the dollars involved. I mean, most of them are still hardworking. They're used to, you know, having $15 an hour jobs or working on the farm. You milk the cows and go sell the milk. To understand me getting paid to think, write, talk to people, it's really kind of hard to frame that. And rather than, I mean, I'm sure some of you are thinking, well, when you get together with family and you start thinking, they, they really think you're kind of uppity because you've really made it. And the implication is, yeah, you probably, you know, cheated somebody to get there. It's not uncommon at all. I worked with a lady a couple of years ago. She was an only child. Her parents died and left her a multimillionaire. She really hadn't done anything. They, 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 it was a horrible situation. They had really infantilized her her entire life and made her believe she was good for nothing other than caring for her, for them. I mean, which is what she did. They really questioned her talent to do anything more anyway. So she continued to spite them even after they were both dead by underperforming. She lived out exactly what their expectations of her were. She was working a minimum wage job, $7.35 an hour, substitute teaching. I mean, I looked at where she was. She had a master's degree. She had everything going for her. There were no obstacles at all except between her own two ears. She was not held back by her ability or her talent, but by that overwhelming upper limit problem. I helped her lay out a plan that would transform her life and her income. You know what she did? She got a $10 an hour job. I was mortified. I felt like I had absolutely failed. She was thrilled. She felt like that was big progress. And I had to allow that to be her level of comfort at that time. Hopefully she'll grow as she continues and maybe be able to raise that upper limit a little bit. I want you to make note of when you recognize an upper limit behavior in yourself. Well, hey, just a quick reminder here before we go on. You are listening to the 48 Days Radio Show. Normally, I'm answering questions. Yeah, I love questions. And golly, do we have some doozies in here. Got some questions to deal with. How do we understand God's will? 
for our lives. Do we just keep trucking along and assume that it's kind of okay, or do we wait for that you know, still small voice? We've got some real great questions lined up here for upcoming weeks, but today I'm just going to deal with this one thing. It's probably going to be shorter, just this one issue. But if you have a question, please shoot it in. Easiest way to do it is just send it to askdan at 48days.com. Just the email address, askdan at 48days.com. Well, I ask in our Eagles community, what are some examples of your own upper limit challenges? What have you done to move beyond them? DJ Esterman says, I think I stumbled through raising my rates early on until I started truly listening. My clients felt I was valuable. Great. My next step was to overcome the fear of losing business. I came to realize it was me worrying about being rejected as a person, not a professional. Once I took that first big leap, the next became easier. I learned to disconnect the fear and emotion from the value I was adding and recognize that charging more did something magical. It actually reduced complaints. Now, I still fall on occasion back into bad habits with this, but here's the thing. It's those times when I'm out of practice. A guiding principle for my life is this. You will not rise to the occasion. You will only rise to your level of preparation. So in this case, by getting out of the mental practice of knowing my value, I let the emotional fear of losing monetary support guide my negotiation. So it takes practice and preparation. Now, what you're alluding to there, DJ, is your mindset is so important. We talk consistently about there are three things you need to be successful. Right mindset, right idea, right network. This is a mindset issue. Now, being in the right network, being around the right people, which, which is, I mean, that's a major piece to help raise your upper limit challenge. That old Jim Rohn thing, where you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Well, if you're spending time with people who are more successful than you, you're going to get more comfortable with that. If you're around whiners and complainers all the time, people are going to be pulling you down. It's going to be hard to raise your own upper limit. Ryan Rieger says getting around people that are more successful than I has helped me remove my upper limits. My thinking gets expanded and I've seen what's possible and that allowed me to blow past limits I put in myself. Of course, Ryan has knocked it out of the park by having online community for Amazon sellers and being one himself. It's done extremely well in that space. Mike says, when I made the move to manage in a production setting, I removed the idea that I had to know how to run the machines to be worthy of being a good manager. The reality is that I need to lead and manage those who know how to run equipment to the best of everyone's ability. It's now that I'm being sought after that I realized I had that self-imposed limit. Boy, that's a great example. Great example. Um, Johnny, let me grab a couple more. After my photography business did the slow crash and burn after leaving my safe, cozy $40,000 a year state job, I was devastated. I somehow internalized this failure and turned it to a set point. Now that's a great statement. I internalized this failure and turned it to a set point. It seemed almost impossible to just imagine uh, not being a disappointment to everyone. I struggled at nine and $13 an hour customer service jobs. Then a shift started. I started to get mad at the situation I had created. During this time, I encouraged coworkers to go for their dreams. That seemed to be my best talent, getting others to not feel stuck and go for what they want. That began to rub off on me, encouraging others began to encourage me. I decided I was ready for more 
then things really started to happen. I was able to go back to school to surround myself with people who are energized with possibility. I realized that I had already had everything that I needed to do great things. The focus changed from what I needed or wanted toward what I can do for others. What can I give that is the best of me? Struggles? Yes, those are just lessons to learn. Do I deserve more? Well, I get back in the return to what I give. The loop starts with my actions first. I'm still in the process of resetting that limit. But that's a great framing of that, Johnny. Yeah, we tend to have that limit. If you think you're a $13 an hour guy, boy, it's hard to envision something where you're going to be making $60,000, $70,000 a year. Cliff says, I've been giving this much thought. One of my upper limit challenges is my past. Without going into detail, I've been abused throughout life and was stuck in a job for 17 years that my father-in-law got for me. One time when I was considering looking for a change in jobs, I was told by those closest to me, nobody would want to hire me. Even my pastor told me, you have a good job, Cliff. I was finally laid off. And to be honest, I felt a sense of relief. My current upper limit challenge is due to my current obligations. I'm afraid to step out because of my mortgage and medical issues. Now, again, that can, that defines an upper limit challenge. You know, Cliff, I mean, we, we all have our past to deal with, but that's why this upper limit concept resonates with me so much. I was raised as well, extremely poor. I remember when we bought our first cow, one cow, that was it. That was our livelihood. We milked that cow twice a day and then got another one and then had a little milk to sell. But it was that kind of, that kind of poor, believe me. Now on a good day, you know, I often make more than my dad ever made in an entire year. I had to work to get to the point where I could handle that, where I allowed that to come into my life. Well, Jody says, I'm working to raise my inner thermostat of success and self-worth, but it seems to take time. I have been actively working on consuming positive content, being around more successful people, like in the 48 Days Eagles. I can already tell that it's making a big difference in my mindset, but I know it's taking a while to undo the years of bad programming and limiting beliefs, which have set my own limits. I think the key for me is to realize it's a journey and not something that is instant. One of the ways I can already see the improvement in my life is when I hear my kids say they can't do something or they aren't good at something without really trying. I automatically jump in and stop them from using those terms. I tell them that you can do something. You just may need to try harder or go a little slower. I then give my little speech on the importance of using words in positive ways and not tying yourself down before you start. You know, I, I, I love that, Jody, and I think you're doing the right thing there with your, to work with your kids. You can recognize it in your kids. You know, oh, I'm so stupid. Oh, I could never do that. You know, you hear those things like, are you kidding me? You know, where are you getting those limitations that you're putting on yourself? We used to call our kids, you know, daddy, I can't do this. We'd like, wait a minute. Are we Americans or Americans? We're not Americans. We're Americans. You know, they remember those goofy little things that we came up with. There were lots more of them to help them stretch their limits to see the potential. Now, this is not about just unrealistic dreaming, you know, gee, I'm going to be the president of the United States, you know, or I'm going to be, I'm going to be in the national basketball association, the NBA. Well, at my height and physical ability, that's not likely to happen. We're not talking about that kind of thing. We're talking about those things that are unrealistic limitations that you've just superimposed on yourself. All right. Now we're going to wrap up with this. I get just six quick things here. 
just to tell you, I'll put these in the show notes, but just to help you start working on this. And, but I want more than anything for you to be able to, to recognize when are you dealing with a self-imposed upper limit? Now, if you want a more complex understanding of it, get the little book. It's just a little paperback, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. There are a lot of guides out there. You can pull it up and just, again, search the Upper Limit Challenge. But it's a very real thing that I discovered just a few years ago and realized how much it had been a factor in my own life. Coming from where I did to be able to reach some new levels of success. Sometimes the obstacles are not out there in the real world. They're simply between our own two ears. And this is one of those times. So here's some steps, six steps to work through your upper limits. Number one, acknowledge the upper limit problem. I mean, you know how it is. Sometimes just acknowledging the problem is half the solution. Number two, expand your positive feelings, thoughts, and ideas. Number three, I've got accept your gift, meaning be honest with yourself and accept you possess a unique gift that only you can share with the world. I mean, if you're an artist, don't belittle your art. Acknowledge that it's wonderful. It's getting better every day. Accept your gift. Recognize your personal gift so you can take action toward achieving your goal. Number four, stop self-sabotage. Again, some examples of self-sabotage include overthinking, avoiding, procrastination, self-medicating, deflecting compliments, criticism, worry. Those are all examples of self-sabotage that are probably related to your upper limits that you've imposed on yourself. Number five, increase your confidence. I mean, my goodness, just... You know, read the little book, The Magic of Thinking Big by David Schwartz, one of those five books that I say every kid ought to read before they're 13 years old. I mean, he has so many cool principles in there to increase your self-confidence. Walk 25% faster. Smile big. You cannot be defeated and discouraged if you're smiling. Be a front seater. You know, he's, he's got other tips in there, but I love that. But in, increase your self-confidence. If you're struggling with that, that's something you can learn to improve. Take the Dale Carnegie course. Goodness, there's all kinds of things you can do to increase your self-confidence. And it's not just patting yourself on the back artificially and just positive mental thinking. No, it's more than that. You learn how to be more confident. You know, it's funny as I would, I always stand when I record the podcast and I, I recognized as I read my notes there, I stood up straighter and pulled my shoulders back. Well, that, that helps you speak from your diaphragm rather than just from the airiness of your lungs. And I, I recognize myself doing that just naturally as I read Increase Your Confidence because I know those things that I can do and you can do to increase your confidence. Well, number six, expand your comfort zone. Look at the limitations that you may have. What are those beliefs that you have that are just artificial, that aren't really real, they aren't really out there? They're simply in between your own two ears. Just acknowledge those things. Well, golly, there's so much packed in here. So much that we could spend time on. I don't want to do a, a complete analysis of this. I want to just plant the seed. This has been really helpful in me working 
with coaching clients over the last few years, when they seemingly hit a roadblock, when they don't apply for that $125,000 a year job and they're a perfect fit for it, just to help them recognize what this really is, the upper limit challenge, it's been a game changer. It's been a game changer for me. Again, to work through, and it's not just about rationalizing more. My goodness, you know, when Joanna and I got the house that we have here, you know, the bank told us what we could qualify for. And I know that's the way that most people determine what they're going to get, what they could qualify for. Well, they gave us a figure and we were like, well, that'd be ludicrous. It's just the two of us. We don't need a house like that. So we got a house that was about a fourth of what they said we qualify for. Well, that's worked to our advantage over and over and over again. So it's not just about rationalizing more and more and more. Not that That's not the point at all. But recognize when it's artificially holding you back from something that you really do want to work toward. A way that you could increase your influence and impact in the world. And remember our quotation from our old buddy Henry Ford. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Hey, we'll just wrap it up there. I so enjoy these times of unpacking questions that come in. Again, if you got questions, just shoot them in to askdan at 48days.com. Love opening that magic mailbox, working through that. Hey, if you enjoy the podcast, I don't ask you to do this often, but my goodness, go to iTunes, leave a review. We got hundreds, I know, but I love get, seeing those come in. You know, rate and review, share with other people. Um, I just got a note today from Apple that showed the ranking of this podcast on the business list. And I was pretty blown away. I thought, you got to be kidding me. Well, I don't pay much attention to those stats, but you all are sharing it. I appreciate that. Thanks above all for being part of this community where we are, in fact, confident that we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.